0: Dr. Ron, we've been so blessed to have him in our first three traditional services, one in September, one in October, and this month here in November. He was just here at 9 a.m. If you missed the traditional and you've never been, you've got to come and check one out. It's really awesome to hear the choir, and uh, it, it's just an amazing thing. So we're, we're so blessed to have that. Lisa on the piano and the organ and Brock leading and just so many people who have committed to putting in some time to, to, to bring that that traditional worship to us. And so what I, what I did the first month is I stayed where we were in, in Luke, but because I didn't preach at 9 a.m., there were many in the 9 a.m. who came to me and said, well, now, what we, now we have to go watch it online, and I said, okay, that's not that bad, but I thought to myself, okay, listen, here's what I'll do. Whatever he's preaching on, I'll preach on the same thing, so, so it just kind of flows, and then nobody misses it, so next week, we'll be back into Luke, so today, I'm in Genesis 22 as well, so you need to hear his his was. We had the videotape today, and that will be online as well very quickly. You've got to listen to it. It was fantastic because we always preach a little bit differently. Uh, but he is, he is my mentor, and uh, so following his lead in Genesis 22 is a great thing. So the title of today's message, 22, we're going to go 1 to 14, The Testimony in the Test. Dr. Ron was talking about the test, the test, the test. So I've got the testimony in the test today, Okay. Let me say a couple things. This memorializes for all time the cost of our redemption through the grieving heart of a father and the obedient heart of a son. Did you hear that? This is is a classic text in Scripture. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all have Abraham as the father of the faithful. Yes? Okay, all three of those religions. So this text is a powerful... It's in the Quran. This is a powerful text. Site scholarship tells us the site where Abraham offered Isaac, thousands, 1,500 years later, we have Jesus being offered up, and today you have a mosque over the rock. So, this is a powerful text, and it memorializes for us the cost of our redemption through. The grieving heart of a father and the obedient heart of a son. Okay? We, you'll find this in, in lots of places on the internet. Uh, typically, the, the deeper theological context is the binding of Isaac. i just using it a little different today. and just want to touch on a few major points in it. And then next week, we'll be back into Luke. Ready? 22, 1 to 14 here now. <clears throat> the Word of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the lord it will be provided and may god add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fell aboard let's pray together father it's no accident we're here this morning everyone by divine appointment which means you have something to speak into each heart speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit make it a word of salvation for the unsaved comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Father, we'd ask that you give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Okay, three headings. Very simply, we'll roll right through it. It's a very, very, very important narrative in Scripture. Remember when we looked at Genesis? Dr. Ron was in it last month, and we looked at Genesis 15, and we said the whole gospel is there. It's here again. It's everywhere. The gospel doesn't just come to life in the New Testament. That gospel is preached from the beginning. There's a single strand of truth that runs through all of Scripture. That's why we're in, we, we, we make this statement regularly. One word from one God to one world. Okay? Okay? That's how this works. And that single strand of truth, God's unfolding plan of redemption. Okay? Three headings. Number one, God's request. This is a stumbling block for the unbelieving skeptic today. And has been for, for centuries. This is a stumbling block. So we have to unpack it. You have to know what's going on here. God's request. Abraham's response. And finally, our Redeemer. Are you ready? Ready? We're going to head out into some deep water, let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was God's request, and how are we to understand it today in the 21st century? Let's take a look. God tested Abraham, saying, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Okay, so what's, what's the complaint of the unbelieving skeptic? Right here. This, this is the God you serve, sending out Abraham to sacrifice his son. And if you don't understand the cultural context, and if you don't understand what's happened leading up to this point, then we don't understand what's going on here. So let me give you just a few things, and then I'll take you through some scripture. Notice that God does not say to Abraham, go inside the tent and slay your son. He doesn't say that. Notice God also doesn't say, I want you to go inside the tent, and I want you to slay Sarah. He doesn't say that. There's something very specific going on here. See, there's a debt to eternal justice that all of us owe. Yes? Remember the movie National Treasure, the debt all men pay? Death. Why? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Okay? We're all dying at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. Yes? Nod your heads. 60 minutes an hour. Nobody gets out alive. So there's a debt to eternal justice that's, that's owed. That's the first thing we need to understand in this context. But then we have to get to this concept. Burnt offering is a big deal. This is the way for God's people to get right again with God. To get right with a holy God as a sinful individual, there needs to be something offered up. A burnt offering. So when God... But it's deeper. We're going to go deeper in a moment. So when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Abraham knew exactly what God was talking about, but it's going to be deeper. Okay, you ready? I'm going to show you how it's deeper. First, let's make sure that God's moral character has not changed. Leviticus 18.21, you know the moral character of God? Typically, we talk about it found in the Ten Commandments. But here's where we want to be clear so that we see that the character of God has not changed. In Leviticus 18.21, he says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed. God abhors child sacrifice. So, so, so God was never for child sacrifice. So there's something that's deeper going on there. A burnt offering in the Hebrew means to ascend. So, so, so this, this is a fragrant offering ascending up to heaven, if you will, into the nostrils of God, where God now is, is accepting the offering and allowing the sinner, who's in need of a Savior, until that Savior comes to get back into a right relationship again through the offering. Okay? You with me? Because you, you have to understand the context for you in order for you to say this wasn't something strange to be asked. Why? It was asked of all of them. Watch this. Psalm 24, one. let Let's get the background here. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's not wrong for God to demand Isaac back. It's not wrong for God to demand any of us back. Parents sitting here right now, sitting here with your children. They're not yours. They're his. Demand them back any moment. He likes. Why? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. And the people of God understand that. Abraham understood that. But it's even deeper than that. Check this passage out. Matthew 20, 15. This comes out of the New King James Version. Is it not lawful? For me to do what I wish with my own things? Listen. The individualistic contemporary mind says no. They rise up against something like that. Who are you to say you can do what you want with your things? But that's only this contemporary individualistic mindset that we're steeped in today in this culture. It was never like that. There there, there was... Centuries where people believed there was a God. And God was a God of justice. And He was holy. And God could do whatever He wanted to do with everything that was His. It's only in this real individualistic context has that really been changed. So this is the backdrop, okay? You see what's going on here? Now, now, now we're going to go to. The requirement that God has made on his people. And he demonstrates it in the Exodus redemption on the people in Egypt. His enemies. Watch. Exodus twenty-two twenty-nine: 29. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. This is called redemption. This is a picture of redemption. Redeeming all of your firstborn sons. So, that firstborn son is not yours. But you can redeem that son. And how were they to be redeemed? Some were to be set aside, consecrated into the Levitical priesthood. And they were going to be the Levites. Others you could purchase back with shekels. You could pay back for them. But you have to get behind. Here, let's just look at the passage real quick. Look at Numbers 3, 40. The whole passage is 40 to 51, but I'm just giving you a few uh, verses here. The Lord said to Moses, count all the firstborn Israelite males who are a month old or more. Count them. Then take the Levites for me in place of the firstborn of Israel. So he's saying, okay, you've got to redeem here. You've got to redeem. But I'm going to take these firstborn as, as, as priests. And he says, collect five shekels for each one. Give the money for the redemption of the additional Israelites. So what's going on? This is, this is, this is a picture of substitutionary atonement. This is a picture of a God who has been sinned against, who says, you owe me. So I'm taking your firstborn. I'm not going to sacrifice them on the altar, but they're mine. First of all, everything is mine. All of the children are mine. But I'm taking your firstborn. And why? I'm going to remind you every moment of every single day that you owe eternal justice, a debt that you cannot pay. For you have sinned against the holy God. But I have a provision. And down the road, I'm going to deliver that provision for you. That's what this whole passage is all about. So when you get to somebody, if you're talking about Jesus and you're sharing the gospel, and, they, and this is not an uncommon passage that they'll bring up and say, I, I'm not for this kind of God. Now you understand the backdrop. You understand why God demanded that. And you understand why the people understood God to demand that. First of all, the eldest son was what? He he, he was the family. Because the the, the, the lion's share of the inheritance goes to the eldest son. He represents the family. So that eldest child, who is now set apart and consecrated to God, is reminding the whole family that all of you owe me. But I'm just taking him. But now God ups the ante with Abraham. Abraham. He doesn't say, I'm going to set him aside to be an Israelite, a, a Levite, or collect five shekels. He said, I want you to sacrifice him. Okay, you with me? So that's, that's, that's the request. It, it's not a bad request. It's a legitimate request. It's a request that God had already laid out in his scripture. God could take all of us right now, and put us away, and that'd be the end of it. And he's holy, and he's just, and he's right. But he's merciful, and he's gracious, and he's loving. Okay? So we Good. This is is the way to renew the relationship between a holy God and a sinful man. Now, what's Abraham's response? Watch this. Watch what happens. Right here, early the next morning. Pause. You know what that means? Without delay. No delay. When was the last time you knew God was telling you to do something? And you hemmed and hawed a little bit. Maybe you even grumbled and complained a little bit. Maybe you even delayed a little bit. Maybe you just kept looking for another word. Get some confirmation from some friends that maybe God really isn't calling you to this. Imagine the heart of a father, the broken. Now, Abraham knows that he's the child of promise. He knows that. He knows the promise that God has made. But Abraham, right here, is not counting on the promise. He's counting on the one who made the promise. He's going deeper than just the promise. Watch what happens here. Abraham got up early, saddles his donkey. Then we go to verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. Okay, don't miss this. You have a tendency to picture Isaac like this. That's not Isaac. Because this is a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how old is Isaac? You go from chapter 21 to 22 and you've got at least 20 years. At least. Jewish scholarship has got him in his 20s. Some have got him the same age as Jesus. We don't know the age. But we know he's not a little boy. He's a grown man. Still yet unmarried and without children still only the covenant promise but he is he's old enough to resist his 120-year-old father that's the key in understanding the passage and its connection to Jesus could Jesus have resisted the will of the father stay with me okay then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his, can you imagine that? You know what some people say, parents, when they're having difficult moments, when we talk about the age of the child, you know what they say to me? They say, Pastor, I know for certain it couldn't have been a little child. It had to be after 13 because as soon as my kids turned 13, boy, I was ready to put them on the altar. As soon as they were teenagers, that was enough for me. So I know it wasn't a little child down. I know that, Pastor. you got to be right. Can you imagine the heart of a father? No matter what you believed. But he doesn't say a word. He just simply, obediently follows God's command. And the command, if Abraham was laying in the tent and he thought he heard these words, Abraham, get up and slay your son in the tent, he would have known it wasn't God. If he'd have been laying in his tent and he heard these words, Abraham, get up and slay Sarah, he would have known it wasn't God. He would have known he was hallucinating. But when he heard that God said, get up and sacrifice your son, your only son is a burnt offering to me, he knew exactly who it was. And he knew why. Because he knew he owed a debt to God. Okay? So this is, it fits in understanding God's rela- a holy God relating to sinful people, this fits. And it makes sense. Okay? Now we're going to go to Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, so that you can see something in Abraham's response. Because this is so incredible. And then we'll hit our third point and we'll be done. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, pause. God's not tempting. God doesn't tempt. But does God test so Dr. Ron, this morning, I talk about storms, right? You're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, you're going into a storm, right? Three stages. So he used the word test. So you're either in the middle of a test, right? Are you in a test right now? Some of you, I know who you are, you're in the middle of a test. If you're not in the middle of a test, what stage are you in, what, what, what stage you're in? You're coming out of a test. If you've already been out of a test for a little while, guess what? Uh, you're going back. And it won't be long. Why? That's all there is to life. You're either in the middle of the test, you're coming out of the test, or you're going back into the test. And God's in the business of what? Testing. It's what he does. Why? For his benefit? No, for ours. To strengthen us in our faith, to grow us up into Christ. To give us the ability to withstand what? All the evil. Pain and suffering in this world. There are real spiritual forces of darkness that exist. So, God is in the business of testing his people. So, you're in the middle of a test, or you're coming out, or you're going in, you've got to figure out where this works for you. He offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You, you got to get behind the text. What was the promise? Through your seed, I will make a great nation. From, from, from all the nations of the world, every tongue, tribe, nation, through your seed. Isaac has no seed yet. So if God has Abraham slay Isaac, the promise is gone. So Abraham's thinking something else is up. What's he thinking? Let's see. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Here it is, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. There's no resurrection up until this point in the Old Testament. Where would Abraham get this from? Some people say, how in the world is he going to have any understanding of resurrection? Raising from the dead, I'll tell you how. You know in school when you get a test what leads up to the tests? You have these quizzes, right? You have all of these quizzes you take that lead up to the big examination the big test Well, there were these quizzes along the way for Abraham You Want to know what one of those quizzes was that he understood? What did God do to his wife's dead womb? Put Isaac in it When she was beyond The child-bearing years. And so was he. So he knew that God could raise the dead. He could raise up Isaac out of a dead womb. He could raise up Isaac out of a dead tomb. And he knew that truth. He trusted in that truth. Because he had passed the earlier quiz. Now he's ready for the... See, you... You, Every... Every little mini test, right? This is a major test. But you've been through many little mini... These are the quizzes that get you ready for the big exam. And the big exams are coming and some of you already been in them. How will you get through them? By looking back and remembering how faithful God was in the quiz. Oh, my God, my God. Am I speaking to someone today? Listen to this word. Ready? Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back. Verse 7 and 8. I, I want you to see this again. Isaac spoke up. Listen to these words. And said, Father, I, I, I see the fire and the wood are here. And, and, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine Abraham? it's you he can't say it because he knows a deeper truth God himself is going to provide the lamb and even if I have to go through and slay you he's going to bring you back and the two of them went on together in the eternal counsel of the triune God, in the blood of the eternal covenant, God the Father and God the Son, the two of them went on together to Calvary's hill. Do you see how all of this points to that great day of reckoning on Good Friday? Abraham and Isaac, the story is a foreshadow of God the Father and God the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of understanding. So my question to you before our final point. What, what mountainous region are you on today? And what test does God have you in? Remember the quizzes that led up to the test. And be strengthened by the faithfulness of your God who says, I, the Lord, do not change. My word stands firm. What God did in the past in your life, He will do again today and tomorrow and forever. That's the promise of God. Which brings us to our great and mighty Redeemer. Back to the passage. 22, 14, 13, and 14. Abraham saw a ram. Ah. Oh. Caught by its horns in the thicket, he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Got to have an offering. Got to get right with God. Now, we know sin was never atoned for in the Old Testament, but still got to get right. Why? It, it, it's foreshadowing what's coming. How does... Oh, no, I'm going to get off here. I'm going to go to preaching in a moment. Ready? Watch. Abraham called this place, what? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He knew that God was, whether he killed him or not, he knew God was going to provide. If I slay my son, he's going to bring him back. What does he say to the servants when they leave the donkey and the servants behind? We're going to go worship God and we're coming back. We're coming back. Or God will provide a substitute. And this is our perfect picture. Our first picture of substitutionary atonement is in the garden, right? Where God makes clothing for Adam and Eve. This is just another picture of that substitutionary atonement that's pointing to the ultimate substitution that's coming. One final point, 2 Chronicles 3. This is where we kind of put all this together. Scholarship kind of gathers in, in their minds and, and they're able to put this together. 2 Chronicles 3 is the place where Solomon, this Mount Moriah, this region where Solomon builds the temple. And it is suggested by scholars that it's that same location Where years before, Isaac was offered and years later, Jesus was crucified. Where today, a mosque stands over that rock. How do we know that the Israelite understood substitutionary atonement? How do we know? We know from the very opening of the Gospel of John. What is... What does John the Baptist say when he sees Jesus coming? How, you can't make this up. John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is, he knew what every single lamb in the Old Testament pointed to. It pointed to the true Lamb. The one true Lamb who actually could take sin away. And he knew it was Jesus. Behold, The Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. Romans 8, 32. Look what Paul understood. The language of the story of Isaac Paul uses right here in Romans 8. He did not spare his son. Jesus was the son who would not be spared. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give you all things? You're in the middle of a test. You're you're, you're struggling in the middle of storm winds that are blowing. Where is your confidence? He gave up his son. Will he not also graciously give us all things? If he didn't withhold his son, what do you think he's withholding from you? If it's not in your timing, you just know that God's timing is better than yours. I've been in this test for a couple years. Good. Maybe you need a few more. God knows exactly what you need. And he's testing you to bring you to that place that Abraham got to. Where there was no delay in his faith. There was no questioning of God. He followed obediently. Wherever God would lead. Back to the passage. And I promise this will be worth the price of admission today verse 4 don't miss this and on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance okay stay with me we'll just act it out very simply Abraham get up take your son your only son the son that you love dearly and sacrifice him for me on a mountain I'm going to show you the next morning they up and they go how long does he go Three days. For three days. Listen to me carefully. For three days, what is in the mind and in the heart of Father Abraham regarding his son Isaac? Isaac is a dead man. Isaac is going to be sacrificed. A three-day walk. And on that third, on that third day, Abraham looks up. And he saw the place... In the distance. Ready? Ready? 1 Corinthians 15.4 That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I have people ask me, Pastor, I don't, I don't see this in, in the Old Testament. I said, I, give me some time. I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Third day is everywhere. This story. You know... Abraham looks up. You know that Jesus says in the gospel, do you know what Jesus says? Abraham looked forward to my day and he saw it. Abraham looked up. He saw the plate. What did he see? Oh, he saw the true sacrifice by faith that one day would come. Because that ram in the thicket did nothing for Abraham. And it did nothing for Isaac other than save him a few years. That was a picture of the true lamb who would be caught in the thicket, in the thorns that were pressed into his brow, and the nails that hammered him to the wood. And Abraham looked up and he saw that promise of God. And Jesus says to those Pharisees, He saw my day and he rejoiced. That's the promise of the gospel. When was life in the creation account? On what day? I just want to give you one more just for fun. Then you can spend the rest of your life looking through the Old Testament third day resurrections. When was life created in the Old Testament creation narrative? Which day? Say it out loud. On what day is new life created in the New Testament? Say it out loud. You can't make this up. Life on the third day in the creation narrative and new life on the third day. And Jesus said, I will be handed over, crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, I'm coming back. And back he came. And it's all over scripture and you can't miss it unless you don't look for it. It's everywhere. I have no more time for that. Let's go to the close, shall we? Striking similarities and a massive striking difference. I can't unpack the passages. I'll just say the similarities and we'll close and sing our final song together. How, how are these two stories intertwined? If what I said earlier is true, which I say almost every week, that it is one word from one God to one world, and there's a single strand of truth, runs, then all of it has to be connected. If it's all connected, yes, the author, Moses, the author of Genesis, is writing to his audience in that time. But there's an author that is behind Moses, and who is that? God, God, is the mind who authored all of Scripture. So all of it has to be connected from beginning to end. We know that. So we're going to look at similarities in this passage and we're going to see what the foreshadow of the promise of the Messiah that was given to us in Genesis 315. When God said to whom to the serpent, not even speaking to the woman to the serpent, her seed will crush her head. Women, do you have seed? Say no, no seed in the woman. So how is the woman's seed going to crush the head of the serpent? It's a supernatural seed that comes from on high. That's the promise. That, that promise was given before the curse. God chases them down in the garden. Says, Adam, where are you? And he comes after rebels on the run and he's still doing it today. Is he chasing you? Is he? Well, if he isn't, he will be by the time I get to the end of these similarities. Watch this. And then when I hit the end, and if you never prayed to, pr- to receive Jesus, pray with me at the very end and then come down and see me and let's celebrate together. Come see me in the fellowship hall and we'll talk. Both were children of promise. Isn't that true? Abraham and Sarah were given a promise. So is Mary. And so in the eternal counsel of the triune God, the Christ child was promised. And Mary received that promise from the angel. Both miraculously conceived Sarah had a dead womb. And Mary was a virgin. Both miraculously conceived. Both called only son. Take your son, your only son. When the heavens opened up after the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His only begotten son. Both to be sacrificed by their father. Abraham didn't have to follow through. God stayed his hand over his son. But both were to be sacrificed by their father. Who sacrifices Jesus as the son? The father. Yes, the Roman soldiers are responsible for the role they played and the Jewish religious leaders and, and all of the condemnation, of course. But who ultimately... God the Father sacrifices, God the Son. The just God is also the justifier. And He provides the sacrifice Himself. Both, oh don't miss this, both to be sacrificed in the same place. Years and years later, it's the same location. General, not the same identical, but the same general location that Jesus. And Jesus says, Abraham saw this day. He saw when I was coming. And he knew by faith that God would answer his promise. He would follow through and make good on it. They both carried their own wood. Jesus carried the cross. Who carried the wood? Isaac. Abraham lays the wood on Isaac. They both carry the wood. Both voluntarily. Now, that's why, that's, why, that's why you can't have him as a little child. He's old enough to tell his father, hey, 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 hold on. How are you going to explain this to mom when you go back to the tent? You left, you left three days ago with me. What are you going to tell him when you go back? You lost me? What's up with this? He asked his father one time. I see the wood. I see the fire. I don't... Where's, where's the lamb? He never says another word. He submits. And Jesus submits. And both of them could have run. And both fathers anticipated their son's resurrection. And as good as that is, I have one that's better. The striking difference. You ready? Isaac was not sacrificed because of a substitute. The ram that was caught in the thicket substituted for Isaac. But Jesus was sacrificed as the substitute. Here's the difference. To God be the glory. Back to verse 12. Sometimes this gets confusing. I'm going to show you why it's never going to confuse anyone ever again. I'm going to show you where these words apply into your life right now today. Remember when God says to Abraham, "Now I know." God already knew. He's speaking on Abraham's behalf. Now I know that you fear God. So you love me. To fear God is to love God. Yes, I inserted that. Now I know that you love me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And you say, oh, that's an awesome statement. But watch what we do with it. We say now this to God. Now we know that you, God, love us because you have not withheld from us your son, your only son. Do you know that love of God in Christ Jesus? If you don't, today is a day of salvation. You didn't come here by accident. You didn't just stumble in on an invitation from someone with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands. Christ has come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The true sacrifice has come. He was nailed to a cross, dead and buried, and on the third day, a dead man got up and walked. He walked out of the tomb, and today he walks into your heart. Come to Christ. Pray a very simple prayer when we bow our heads. And come see me after in the fellowship hall, won't you? Let us pray. Father, right now, if anyone in this sanctuary or by way of the Internet has never prayed to receive Jesus, has never surrendered control to Christ, we pray You give the gift of repentance and faith. We pray that You raise them from death to life. Oh, God. We pray that You, right now, would lead any individual, regardless of age or station, who has never prayed to receive Jesus in this simple prayer. Oh, God, I heard the gospel today. I know that I owe a debt to eternal justice that I cannot pay. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I know His name is Jesus Christ. Oh God, I repent of my sin. Be merciful to me, the sinner. I trust in Christ alone. I don't trust in my good works. I don't trust in my good life. I don't trust in my church attendance, my, 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 my sacrificial giving. I don't trust in anything other than Christ. And, Father, I would ask that you'd give them the confident assurance that nothing will ever separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And, Father, for the rest, some who've walked with you for decades, strengthen all of us in our faith, grow us all up into Christ, and use us as instruments of salvation and sanctification in your mighty right hand. This we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Would you all stand with us?